The Chinese government once conducted a study to figure out why America was such a successful nation. The study concluded that the secret to American success was Christianity, the dominant religion in the country. Is it coincidence then that tyranny is increasing while Christianity and morality are on the decline? My guest today just made a movie about the attempt to destroy the American Christian church. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. I'm honored to have Trevor Loudon on Freedom is the Cure. Trevor is an author, a filmmaker, and public speaker. For more than 30 years, he has researched and exposed the radical left, Marxist, and terrorist movements and their covert influence on mainstream politics. His most recent production is called Enemies Within the Church. Trevor, thank you for coming on Freedom is the Cure. Oh, look, it's a pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me on. So, um, Enemies Within the Church. Trevor, what is happening within the American church? Well, just like um, Hollywood was taken over by the radical left and the unions were taken over by the radical left and the radical left has penetrated major political parties, the education system, um, journalism, etc. They are now finishing their conquest of the American churches. This Marxist communist infiltration of the churches started in the 20s with the mainstream churches and, and they moved into the Catholic Church. But now even the evangelicals, even the Baptists are falling um, and, and becoming Marxist churches. Wow. The movie focuses a lot, as you mentioned, the evangelical, and there's a, lot, there's a large focus on the Southern Baptist. What are some of the doctrines that are being peddled in the church? And then we're going to go into the conduits. But first, what are some of these doctrines? What's, uh, what are the Marxist ideals making their way into the church? Well, what, what you see is an acceptance of the LGBTQ agenda, you know, um, the, the, the homosexual agenda that's coming into most of the churches, has done for a long time. Social justice, which is basically just a euphemism for socialism. Um, relentless attacks on white privilege, and like, like, which is another Marxist concept. Um, critical race theory, which is now part, officially part of the Southern Baptists' toolbox for dealing with issues of race. Critical race theory is another Marxist program, but also things like welcoming illegal immigrants to the country. You know, Jesus was an immigrant, so therefore we should welcome people who jump the border illegally. Um, refugee resettlement and, and, and also the heavy church involvement in refugee resettlement from Islamic countries and also Chrislam, the, the, the idea that Christians should unite with Muslims. They're both of an Abrahamic faith and therefore they should stand together. All of these are Marxist communist ideas and they're now rampant in both the Southern Baptists and the wider evangelical movement. What makes these, uh, for instance, you mentioned CRT, LGBT um, approval or acceptance, what makes them a Marxist? Because I think that term is thrown out a lot. And I think there's an ignorance sure. among the American population about Marxism, what it really is, and obviously what it even led to, which is, is, uh, is just appalling. But can you quickly summarize yeah. that? Well, most Americans think of Marxism in purely economic terms. You know, it's, it's uh, 
just that the workers will rise up and take the wealth of the capitalists, the class struggle. But Marxism has morphed way beyond that. You know, the LGBTQ movement, the, the radical gay movement in this country was founded by Harry Hay back in the 40s and 50s. He was an active Communist Party member in Los Angeles and um, set, set the whole thing going. You know, the uh, groups like ACT UP, another major homosexual rights group, was also run by Marxists. And you'll find the LGBTQ movement today, the transgender movement, is also actively run and actively promoted by modern American communists. It is, it is extensive, you know, because... The first plank to the first thing the communists wanted to attack was the family. And the LGBTQ agenda is absolutely part of that agenda to break down the American family, to cause maximum chaos, divide families, weaken families, and weaken the military too. You know, the uh, the the communist Chinese and the Russians don't allow homosexuality in their militaries because they want to keep their militaries strong. They encourage it in the US military, because their goal is to weaken weaken the US military for any coming war that they may choose to embark on. Um, plus, the um, concept of critical race theory was invented by people like Derek Bell, the Harvard professor, who was um, you know involved in the International Association for Democratic Lawyers, a Soviet front. He wrote for Freedom Ways magazine, which was set up by the Communist Party USA and funded by both the Chinese communists and the Soviet communists. And that is, see, see that is the idea, that is communism, Marxism applied to race rather than class, because the communists decided very early on that the class struggle wasn't very relevant to most Americans. You have a very flexible class structure in America. You can start out dirt poor and end up filthy rich. You can start out filthy rich and end up dirt poor too. It's very flexible. It's not like Europe where, where you have an aristocracy. And so they decided to focus on race. So instead of the, the um, working class rising up and overthrowing the wealth of the capitalists, now it is the oppressed peoples of colour and their white allies joining together to overthrow the white Christian capitalist patriarchy. That's what critical race theory is. It is pure Marxism applied to race rather than class. And the concept of white privilege, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're intrinsically, if you're white, you've automatically got privilege, even if you live your life on food stamps, you've got white privilege. And, and whereas the black football player earning $37 million a year is automatically oppressed. That comes from Noel Ignatin and Ted Allen, two members of the Communist Party USA, who left to join a, join a pro-Chinese faction. And they invented this concept of white privilege based on the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The, in the old days, and the Cultural Revolution, you know, if your father was a capitalist, your father owned a little farm or a little factory, you had capitalist privilege, and they would put you up and ridicule you and put a sign around your neck and probably send you to jail or even kill you. Well, now you have white privilege. You can never escape the taint and the oppression of your white race. 
So this is another way of encouraging revolution and division in America. And all of these concepts are now in the Baptist church, they're in most of, most evangelical churches, and they're rampant in the seminaries and Bible colleges of this nation. The seminaries and the Bible colleges are where the universities were 10 years ago. Well on the way to being Marxist, not quite there yet, but now they are falling. Most of the major Bible colleges in this country are now under Marxist control. That's astounding, and, and you cover that. Can you go more into detail as far as some of the names in these universities who are bringing this in? Um, it's really concerning, especially the names, some of the names you, you cover in this documentary. Well, well, one of the key people uh, behind this is a man called Tim Keller, you know, who runs a Methodist church, uh, a Presbyterian church, I believe it is, in New York, a big church. And he's a very respected Christian. You know, a lot of people buy his books and they, they use, his, um, use his books and Bible study, etc. But the man is a Marxist. You know, he, he quotes Marx or postmodernist philosophers. We went through his sermons. He quoted Marx or postmodernist philosophers over 180 times in, in 10 years. But he, he picked up his Marxism in college and um, but decided that the church was really the way to push this stuff. In 2000, 2005, he set up the Gospel Coalition and initially had a few conservatives involved. This was a big coalition of evangelicals, and that has driven the Marxism in the churches, the social justice, the critical race theory. Um, it has been one of the main vehicles. They worked very closely with Russell Moore, who was the head of the Baptist Church's uh, religion and, and religion and uh, liberty commission, the public policy wing of the Southern Baptists. They worked with people like J.D. Greer and Russell and um, Al Mohler to bring this stuff into the Baptist churches. So the two main culprits would be Jim Wallace of Sojourners, who was always a leftist Marxist, who was Obama's faith advisor, and Tim Keller, um, at his perch at the, at the Gospel Coalition, they have spread their tentacles into virtually every major seminary in the country, every Bible colleges. And so the young pastors who are coming out, who once would have supported the Constitution and free enterprise and probably loved Israel and loved Ronald Reagan, now love Bernie Sanders and Palestine and socialism. And they are spreading this through the churches. Is that really, uh, have they really come out in support of, say, uh, Bernie Sanders? Any of those? Any of those? Oh, people? many of them have. Many, you know. And we also got to realize there's also the old infiltration. Um, Democratic Socialists of America and the Communist Party USA both have religious commissions. So they have people themselves, actual communists and socialists, and Bible colleges all over the country. So, yes, you do have a lot of pastors who would support Bernie Sanders, a lot of pastors who support the left, a lot of pastors who support Palestine, you know, which is a Marxist revolutionary operation, you know, is, a, is the cover for a Marxist revolutionary operation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Many of these pastors are openly supporting the left, redistribution of wealth, critical race theory, um, social justice, 
ending global warming. A lot of pastors are a lot much more concerned about global warming than they are than they are about sub global warming, which is really where they should be focusing. Man, the thing with Timothy Kel- Tim Keller, it's uh, you know you you said like lots of people have his books. I actually have two of his books. I think one's called The Reason for God, and then there's I yeah. think one on on marriage. And he's based in New York. I think you mentioned that as well. So I can't help but it's, uh, but conclude that you know that must have something to do with his social uh, stances. You well, know, well he deliberately he, he he he's got a big thing about urban communities. He deliberately picked New York for his ministry because it is an area that's already left, already liberal. And, you know, people there, they, they need spiritual nourishment just like anywhere else. But you're dealing with a, a population that already leans to the left. So it's easier to build a church and make a left-wing church in such an environment. But Tim, Tim Keller is, is, you know, is absolutely, t- well, we saw this with his attacks on Donald Trump. You know, he came out openly attacking Donald Trump. And uh, for, you know, for a man who says you shouldn't be, uh, you know, pastors shouldn't be involved in politics, that only applies if you're involved in conservative politics. If you're involved in left-wing politics, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly acceptable. You said he mentions Marxism, I guess, in, in his sermons or whatnot. Does he, how do they, and I don't know, you don't really cover this in the movie, but I wanted to ask you anyway. How do these people justify, like Karl's Marx, Karl Marx was, first of all, he was an atheist. You know, you can uh, you read his writing. And secondly, I think it's in the second paragraph, the Communist Manifesto, where he talks about this dichotomy between the oppressed and the oppressor. And that's a, those are key words that are being used now, obviously, in, in CRT. How do they justify those who openly, I don't know if, you know, if, if they're necessarily um, praising Marxism, but citing Marxism, considering the damage that has been caused by this ideology and that those who have peddled and worked uh, based on this ideology have committed millions of a genocide all over the world. Yeah, well, that, that was, they, they, they didn't get it right, you see. They, they weren't <laughs> the clever Marxists. You know, you, you got you to, gotta, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, as Stalin said. And and these were the early experiments. And, and of course, there were some mistakes made. And of course, hundreds of millions of people died. But we're going to get it right this time. You know, they, do, they divorced themselves from the communist movement per se. They won't say we're pro-Stalin, we're pro-Mao, even though um, many of the groups like Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as CRU, are using works, indoctrination materials directly from Maoist writers. You know, but they they uh, they believe, you know, this has been going on for a long, long time. You know, there's always been this left wing strand within Christianity. Jesus was a socialist. He believed in wealth redistribution, you know, Christian charity. Well, therefore, we've got to amp it up. We've got to get the government involved in it as well. It's not private. Private institutions aren't enough. So right back to the time, you know, in the 1600s, you had Christian socialists. You know, the levelers and the diggers and all these sort of people. So they come from this tradition that uh, they believe that the left is more compassionate. Yes, the left has made horrible mistakes, but they're on the right track because they believe in helping people in times of need and they believe in um, anti-racism, so they say, and they believe in all these things. And they 
think that this kind of stuff is good and they try and divorce it from its actual communist roots. But uh, many of these people who profess to be Christians are Marxists who, who entered the church consciously and knowingly, just like you would enter a labor union or just like you'd infiltrate Hollywood or the Democratic Party or a university. They deliberately entered the Bible colleges and the seminaries to spread Marxism. And they're very sophisticated sophists. Um, we tell this the great story in the movie of Joseph Fletcher. Can I just use that to illustrate a point for a second? Absolutely, please well, do. Well, you know, we've all heard of the, um, the phrase situation ethics. That means that instead of referencing the Ten Commandments when we make a, a moral decision, we look at the circumstances around us, the situation, and we make the most loving decision based on that. That's now the dominant moral paradigm in the United States, including in most churches. Well, the man who invented that concept was Joseph Fletcher. He wrote the book in 1966, Situation Ethics. It took the churches by storm. It took society by storm. And he was a professor, a professor at Harvard at the, at the Episcopalian Divinity School. He was one of the, the leading Christian theologians of the early 20th century very, very respected Christian, and he transformed American Christianity and changed the, mor the moral basis of modern American Christianity. But if you check out his background, he was involved in Communist Party fronts as a young man in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was involved in the Alabama Sharecroppers Union, another communist front. He went to um, him and his wife helped to set up, help Margaret Sanger set up Planned Parenthood. He went to Harvard, worked his way up through the religious establishment, but he was also a member of the World Peace Council, a Soviet front, a Stalin front. He was a leader of the American Soviet Friendship Society, another Communist Party front. He was actively identified as attending Communist Party meetings in, in, in Boston. Well, after he wrote his book and transformed American Christianity for the worse, he left the church, declared himself an atheist. He had been an atheist all along. He had been a communist, but he used his position in the church to transform American morality. You know, um, in the 1920s, the very first communist front in America was set up before the Bolshevik Revolution, the Methodist Federation for Social Action. In the 1920s, the Communist Party told its people, if you're brought up Baptist, go back to the Baptist. If you're brought up Episcopalian, go back to the Episcopalians. If you're brought up Jewish, go back to the synagogue. Not to learn from those institutions, but to spread Marxism through those institutions. This is a hundred year process. The, wow. What is different is that the evangelicals and the Baptists are now part of this where for a long time they were apart from it. They, they resisted this encroachment. Well, I was born in a communist country, and one of the things uh, in, that they did in the, the Soviet bloc, uh, the, behind the Iron Curtain, once the Soviets took over, is they infiltrated 
the church. Uh, and I know you're familiar with the Richard Wombrand story. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you recall, uh, there's a, there's some sort of Congress of meeting of religious leaders, and he's the only one that refuses to acknowledge. I correct me if I'm wrong, but it was they wanted to acknowledge Stalin as the head of the church. Is that correct? I think I look. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think that was that was correct. They, yeah. Um, the Orthodox churches and and even a lot of the Protestant churches behind the iron the, behind the communist bloc were basically told that the government was the head of the church, just like um, Chinese Catholics have to acknowledge the Communist Party or, or Xi Jinping is the head of their church today. Yeah. So. So there's a pattern there, whether it be the Soviets or the Chinese, of infiltrating the church and, and installing themselves as the heads. With Richard Wombrand, going back to that, of course, he was arrested later on, and then he spent a summation of 14 years in prison uh, You know, trying as, uh, before he was ransomed out, and then he started what's called Voice of the Martyr. So this is, this is, uh, this is really, really concerning, and this is how Marxists operate. Can you, can you kind of go slightly maybe into the contrast between what's happening now and, you know, uh, we had mentioned that study at the beginning uh, on my opening, and even the Chinese realized that the secret sauce to American success was American Christianity. How was American yeah. Christianity different uh, during the establishment and even after hundreds of years afterwards versus now? What are some of the some of the differences? Well, you, you look at the American Revolution. You know, you had a government that was set up on on the on the principle that your rights come from God, and representative government came directly out of Mosaic law. You know, when Moses was leading the people to you know through the desert. He was besieged by requests and and complaints every day. So he told people, go forth and go amongst yourself and choose representatives. That was the birth of representative government. And so the American Revolution was led by by people steeped in the Bibles. Most of them, many of them were semi, were by, you know trained in the um, theological colleges of the day. Almost the vast majority of revolutionary military commanders were pastors. The famous black-robed regiments with the Bible in one hand and the long rifle in the other. So America was founded on Christian roots. There's no doubt about that. The American Revolution was fought more over religious liberty than anything. Because you had 13 colonies here, all run by different Christian denominations, all of whom had fled Europe. Uh, to flee some degree of religious persecution to practice their faith as they saw fit. And when they saw King George coming after their freedoms, they knew that their religious freedom would be on the block and they would all be forced to affiliate with the Church of England. That was their fear. So they, they rebelled. They, they had to rebel against that. So that is the spirit of American, American Christianity that founded this nation. They were leaders. They were the, 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 the Christian churches were the leading body of any community. And, and the politicians looked to the Christian churches for guidance. Well, recently, Jerry Nadler, the Marxist who heads the, the Judiciary Committee in the U.S. Congress, the top lawman in America, said God's opinion is of no relevance to the Judiciary Committee. So that's how far we have gone. But American churches increasingly have fallen under the spell of pietism. You shouldn't get involved in the civic affairs of the nation. You leave, you know, God, we look after men's souls. 
leave the government to look after everything else. Well, that's the argument that led to Hitler taking over Germany. When the German churches stood down, let Hitler run Germany, we will look after men's souls. That led to Nazism, that led to the war that killed tens of millions of people and the, the and then the birth of and then, and then the communist conquest of most of Europe afterward, because the German Christians were pietists. They didn't believe Christians should be involved in the civic affairs of their nation. So we've gone from a point where the, the country was founded by biblical men, by Christians, to the point now churches are either completely out of the civic civil government picture or they're active, or if they are involved most of them are working from a left-wing perspective. The actual active, conservative, hard-charging Christian churches are very much the exception rather than the rule today. That's, um, you know, being I've been a part of a church all, all my life, and I wonder if those, uh, the, that classification, that, that tax-exempt classification is, is doing more harm than good, because as you know, Churches, there's lots of things they can't talk about as far as politics. Do you have an yeah. opinion on that? Well, look, I, I don't actually believe in tax-free status for anybody, churches, foundations, whatever. I think everybody should pay tax. If we all pay, look, if churches pay tax, you think we'd have the tax levels we have today? No. You really think so? No, you <laughs> wouldn't. You wouldn't. But they... Look, it has compromised them the other way too. See, in, in 1956, I believe it was, Lyndon Johnson, when he was still a senator from Texas, a U.S. senator from Texas, passed a, a change to the U.S. tax code called the Johnson Amendment, which, which forbade tax-free churches from endorsing political candidates. Mm -hmm. That's all it did. You can't endorse from the pulpit. But pastors took that to mean you can't talk about anything political right. at all, or we'll lose our tax-free status. Well, I think the best thing to happen for most churches is they do lose that status and actually have to face the real world like the rest of us. But um, this that led so so they took they passed that that took the churches out of the picture. A few years after that, they part they took prayer out of schools. A few years after that, they passed Roe v. Wade, legalizing abortion. Do you think they could have done those second two measures had they not neutralized the churches first? That was a deliberate plan to emasculate the churches. And now you have so many pastors. Like when, when Donald Trump was on the campaign trail, he would talk sometimes about to evangelical audiences about, we're going to get rid of the Johnson Amendment so you can talk freely again. And he would expect great cheers of approval and he'd get stony silence because most of the pastors are very happy with this because it means they don't have to talk about abortion. They, this is what they say. We can't talk about anything political. We're not going to talk about taxes or war or abortion or which political party's better, or which has a better platform. No, no, we just got to stay in our churches and we got to preach the gospel. Well, I, I disagree with that argument. You don't, you're not, a pastor's not there just to preach the gospel. He is there to lead his people in living a gospel life. That means a 
applying the gospel to your business affairs, to your educational affairs, your cultural affairs, your sporting affairs, and your civic affairs. Now, we are given three institutions to govern us. We were given the church, we were given the family, and we were given civil government. All are godly institutions. And when the, when the, church, and the church is supposed to be the leader, so when the churches are standing up and proclaiming truth and are active moral arbiters in the community, you find the families prosper and civil, gov and civil government stays within its boundaries. But when the churches abandon their leadership role, which they largely have now, the families fall into chaos and the civil government gets way, way, way out of control. Is that maybe where we are today? Yeah. Is that, yeah I, do you I, think that might be linked to the deliberate destruction and deliberate perversion of American Christianity? Do you think there might be a little flow-on effect there? I always found it so uh, concerning and, and strange that churches, for as long as I've attended them, uh, never spoke on at least two two issues, and that's abortion. I mean, they kind of, some touched on it, some were braver than others, and LGBTQ uh, right. issues. And uh, that's that's so um, it's concerning. Obviously, our our character or part of our identity in Christ it does include our sexual preferences. And obviously, yeah. the Bible makes it clear. The Bible makes it clear on all of those things. And what's astounding is that there are so many within the church, for instance, with abortion, there should be no one who attends church who is okay with abortion or would back a party who, who snuffs out the life of the most vulnerable little human beings that we are, uh, we are uh, responsible for guarding. It's absolutely yeah. in insane. Look. Look, any pastor worth his salt should be preaching that from the pulpit and saying anybody in my church who votes for a pro-abortion politician needs to repent before they come back to this church. They need to admit what they've done is sinful and they should never call themselves an active Christian. You know, any, you know Catholic, um, Catholic, the Catholic Church should be excommunicating all pro-abortion politicians. But they're not, you know. So this is the weakness of the churches. They are not leading the communities morally. You think if every church in America was united and publicly united against abortion, do you think it would be legal in this country today? No, I don't think so, man. I don't. No, it they, wouldn't be. It's it's just that's that's to me is the most astounding illustration, the craziest that people can. It's how is that different from the infanticide of the pagans yeah. of the old? Well, well, that's exactly right because they, they would like to class abortion as a moral, as a political issue, and we don't get involved in politics. Well, it's a moral issue, and a church is meant to be involved in moral issues. Is that sort of what churches <laughs> are supposed to be doing? But look, you know, they 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 pass the buck by saying this is a political issue. We can't be involved in politics. We would lose that tax-free status. And then that would hamper our ministry and our ability to reach people for Christ. It is a moral cop-out. It is cowardice. That's yeah. all it is. The church, modern churches, by and large in this country, are led by moral cowards. Yeah. And the, the, the structure we have is encouraging the cowards and discouraging the brave people, the real leaders who should be rising up.
Yeah. Speaking of you, you had a lot of clips in the movie about, uh, you know, this anti-racism uh, craziness, this movement. And I think the church has not done a very good job of advertising its record when it comes to anti-racism, anti-slavery. I mean, for instance, you take Charles Finn, you take William Wilberforce. These are forces in our history of the church who who spearheaded, you know, the anti-slavery, uh, the abolitionist movement, right? Yeah, look, look, absolutely. So you've got to understand that the anti-racism movement is not about helping oppressed peoples of color. It is explicitly designed to divide us and to destroy Christianity, destroy what they think is the, is the white Christian capitalist Christian patriarchy. So it's not a genuine movement to help anybody of any minority race. The real people who did help people of minority races were, as you said, Will, William Wilberforce, who, who put his whole life into ending slavery. And he was driven by his Christian faith. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, is, um, this is history. You know, but, but so we've got all these anti-racism weather seminars. We've got all these anti-racism study in churches. Campus Crusade for Christ and InterVarsity are full of this stuff. You know, it's very simple. You know, a Christian can address race and racism quite simply. Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. That's what you need to know if you're a Christian and how you should address people of other races. It's pretty simple. You don't need a big, massive three-day seminar to tell you about that. Look, look, here's an example. Uh, InterVarsity, which is completely radicalized now. They had a big conference in um, St. Louis, Missouri in 2015. Thousands of young kids from the Midwest. And as it was the Midwest, most of these kids are white. And the whole thing was, was about ending white privilege. This is the number one command of God. You know, these kids could be on food stamps, but they got to end white privilege. The keynote speaker was Michelle Higgins. She was a, um, a pastor, a young black pastor from St. Louis, Missouri. And she got up and harangued these kids about their white privilege. And this is a sin. This is more or less the 11th commandment that has somehow been missed off and the only one that counts. Well, those kids would, would have gone away from that seminar thinking God's mission for us is to end white privilege. That's our mission as Christians. Well, they weren't told that Michelle Higgins was a member of the Organization for Black Struggle. That is a group that burnt, burnt Ferguson, Missouri to the ground in 2014. That is a front group for Liberation Road, a pro-Chinese communist party, that the party that started the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter is a Chinese communist operation. But you've got churches all over the country taking a knee to these people and putting them on a pedestal and having Black Lives Matter, you know, signs on their windows, etc. A Chinese communist movement. So, th- so these young kids were being taught straight up Maoist communism, thinking it is Christianity. Thousands at a time. Now spreading this poison all through their churches, going totally off the Christian message having no idea that they're doing so and believing that they are following biblical commands. What is the response to, to this movie and to this message that you are seeing? A lot of shock, a lot of shock. How could this happen in our church? Ah, oh, so this is what this means. 
Ah, so that's why my pastor is doing this stuff. I'd wondered why we never talk about the Old Testament anymore, why we don't talk about sin or redemption, but we do talk a lot about global warming and open borders and critical race theory and ending white privilege. Ah, so I just thought it was my church. I just thought it was my pastor, a little, you know, with his little pet hobby horse. This is Marxism. This is a program. So there's deep shock. And those Christians who have stood strong against this kind of stuff, there's a sense of relief. At least somebody is saying this. Somebody's actually putting it out there. And and Pastor Kerry Gordon, who 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 is narrates the movie, has had hundreds of letters from all over the country of pastors saying, yes, you're right. Thank you for saying this. I need to get more active in my community. You're 100% right in what you're saying. This is a profound movie, very profound. It'll open people's eyes into the corruption of Christianity and the, and the more open forms, but also the subtle, um, the subtle twisting of theology that's been going on for a long time as well. People will see Christianity in a very different light once they've seen this movie. And I think it's a light that will get them back to the, the real message of Christianity, not the twisted message that, that most people are now getting in the churches. I think this is opening people. So I've said people say, this has changed my life. This has changed my religious outlook. This has totally, totally given me a whole new perspective. Thank you so much. And we're getting people ordering hundreds of copies at a time, you know, and taking to the churches. We're, we're putting it out in nine languages. It's going international now. And we're getting orders from Australia and South Africa and Europe and France and, you know, whatever. Because this problem is not just America. This is through Christianity right across the world. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really, really resonating, I'll tell you. And so it sounds like Americans are, are responding. You are also saying that one way that they're responding is, are, are they leaving their churches? Are they starting, uh, you know, little house churches? What's what's part of the practical response? Well, well, there is a lot of that going on. That movement has already been started. The house, see, see what happened with the initial, um, the initial communist infiltration of American churches. In the 20s and 30s, they'd go and preach 90% Marxism with 10% Christianity on top. And that drove a lot of people out of the church. It was too much. Well, the evangelicals, the people who penetrated the evangelicals have been more subtle. They preach 90% gospel like Tim Keller with 10% communism added to it. And so it's a little more hard to detect. But already there has been a major growth in the home churches and a lot of people are splitting off from the Southern Baptists and setting up their own their own independent churches, etc. This is what we say. If you're in a church, there's no sense watching a webinar like this on a Wednesday and going to a communist church on a Sunday or going to a, a even a church that preaches it like it is, but does nothing that does nothing to lead or change things in the community. You know, a church should be both preaching truth and acting on that preaching, doing stuff, real stuff. So what we're seeing is people going to their pastors, getting their pastors sitting down and watching this. And this is a litmus test. If the pastor says at the end of this, yeah, I'm shocked. I see the message here. I've got to reconsider my position on some issues. Or if he says, no, I'm not going to watch it. 
you know, this is just garbage, blah, blah, blah. That is a very good litmus test whether you need a new pastor mm. or a new church. So you think? Do you think we can reverse course? Can the American church reverse uh, reverse course? Is it is it doable? Is it possible? Well, well, I think it's all about the remnants, isn't it? You know, well, can America reverse course? Well, you know, the John Birch Society exists to help America reverse course. You know, to change the politics of the country, the culture of the country. Well, the church, the same thing. We must work on the churches. But the first step, as you know, we've got to fortify the remnant. We've got to educate those who are already on the right track but need more ammunition, need more uh, knowledge and more power so they can go out to people and, and talk about this. So the movie was is really there to fortify the remnant. But we are hoping it will set people on fire to help start a much-needed spiritual revival in this country. And if we can revive this country spiritually, we can transform it culturally and politically as well. So I think we have to we have to understand the country's gone astray because the spiritual foundation has been corrupted. If we can help to fortify that remnant, um, I think we can start to take things back. We have to. Right. You know, we lose the church, we lose the country. It's a simple Absolutely, thing. I agree. Uh, Trevor, where can people uh, find this movie, order it, uh, download it? Anything they any way to watch it. Yeah. Just very simple. Enemies within the church dot com. Enemies within the church dot com. You can order DVDs if you've got a DVD player, or you can download it. I think it's twelve ninety five. Down download it, you know, watch it on your home entertainment system, your phone, your your computer. Um, more people are buying DVDs right now, but 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 the uh, the downloads are going up massively as well, and uh, we're getting a lot from overseas as well now. We've opened it up to other countries. So very simple, enemieswithinthechurch.com. That should be easy. Trevor, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for joining me on Freedom is the Cure. Oh, look, it's a great pleasure, Paul. It's, um, thanks for the questions, and thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So for those of us even vaguely familiar with American history, there's no denying that Christianity has played a significant role in the establishment and continued success of this country. Here at the John Birch Society, we've always known that without God's help, there is no path to national preservation or restoration. That's why our motto is less government, more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world. If you haven't joined the JBS, but you're curious about how you can be part of our epic quest to keep Americans sovereign and free, please contact your local coordinator and he or she will help you get started. Check out the link in the description for more on that. In the meantime, always remember that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.